Luke chapter 6, picking up in verse 27. This is the word of Almighty God. Jesus preaching proclaims, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. This is the word of Almighty God. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that here in his word, we would hear Christ this morning that you would give us ears to hear, but also minds and hearts ready to receive and hands ready to apply what our Savior is teaching us. Lord, we long to be made whole, and so as we have sung, let inward love guide every deed. Teach us what this means, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we continue in this Sermon on the Plateau, and so far we've looked at Christ's first major division in that sermon, his his Beatitudes and Woes, uh, or to put it in a little easier language if beatitude isn't a word you use a lot and woe isn't a word you use a lot. You, you could think of it as the blessings and curses. Christ has given us the blessings and the curses of uh, the blessings of being a kingdom citizen and living as a kingdom citizen should and the curses of being a worldly citizen or living like the world does. We've seen that and it concluded last week with God's blessing upon us when the world hates us, when all men speak evil against you falsely for his sake, uh, when they uh, cast you out or when they exclude you or when they degrade your name. And we, we see how the world 
would hate. Now Christ turns into a next section of his sermon by asking, will you hate? Others will hate you for my namesake. Will you hate them? That's what he's asking. In another place in this gospel, he's going to address the question of, who is my neighbor whom I'm to love? But here Christ doesn't even bother using the word neighbor. He, he takes us straight to his answer of whom and how far we are to love. He asks, will you love your enemy? The one who is excluding you. The, the very one who is degrading your name, casting you out of the synagogue, or, or refusing to give you business because of your faith, or who is uh, on social media bad-mouthing you for the world to see. That person, will you hate them also, or not? Will you love them? In one sense, these verses Christ is asking us, Who are you? Who are you? Are you just another worldly person? Or are you an adopted son or daughter of God? Because if you're the adopted son or daughter of God, then you ought to act like it. This may not happen as much anymore, but... Isn't it true? There, there was a time when there were household expectations. In our home, your parent might say to you when you were little, in our home, you, you come back with, well, our neighbor or my friend at school gets to do X, Y, or Z. And my parents used to say, but that's not how we do it in our home. That's what Jesus is saying here. In our home, the household of faith, God the Father is merciful to the evil and unthankful. Like you. (laughs) He is loving and gracious to even someone like you, an often disobedient child. So the question is, who are you? Are you a child of this world or are you a son or daughter of God? That's Christ's point. It's a powerful point because in his culture, uh, this verse in Leviticus 19, verse 18, in which Moses had declared, you shall love your neighbor, was taken And the rabbis had looked at that and said, ah, aha, love your neighbor. But Moses doesn't say anything about your enemy. And so this was actually a statement that was circulating popularly in the synagogues of Jesus' day. Love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Can you you imagine if that's how I preached here at the street? The, the sermon today is, hate your enemy. That, that was literally what they were being taught. Jesus comes along and says, that's not what Moses meant. And if it was, then I have a better message for you. But it isn't what Moses meant, actually. If you go and look at Moses, 
Leviticus 19, verse 18, you'll find in context, Moses says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear a grudge. Vengeance and grudge, that's something you have against an enemy, isn't it? By definition, if your neighbor is someone you want to take vengeance out on, that's an enemy. So Moses himself was teaching us, by inspiration, love your enemy. Also, as as we read earlier in the service, Exodus, we read about what you do when you see your neighbor's donkey in trouble or your neighbor struggling because his, his cart animal was in a ditch or something. What do you do? He's your enemy. You walk as far away on the other side of the road from him as you possibly can. No, no, you help your neighbor. See, it was always according to God that the kingdom citizen was to love their enemy. No matter how much you disdained them. No, 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 no. You need to love them. Your natural sinful attitude is to hate, disdain. But as a kingdom citizen, you are to love. Christ here is bringing us back to that, even though the rabbis of his day were saying something different. Who are you? Do you hate like the world, or do you love like your Father in heaven? Now, as we look at these verses 27 through 36 this morning, uh, we have here three specific examples put in front of us of what it looks like to love your enemy. And then we have, uh, I think we can draw out two kind of principles by which we might assess how well we personally are doing. So there's three examples and and two principles. I don't want to spend a, a ton of time on the examples except to just make sure we're not misapplying them into our own scenario uh, by misunderstanding what Christ is giving us. So when we look at the three examples, we have turn the other cheek, we have throw in the extra tunic, uh, and we have give what is demanded. Those are the three examples he puts in front of us. And all three are persecution examples. We, we don't usually read them that way in our context, but they are persecution examples. In fact, they are so specific that sometimes we mis- misunderstand the example because we don't understand what Christ was talking about back then. And so we miss the forest for the trees. We spend all this time misapplying an example maybe in a good way, but it's not what the example meant. Something that the Bible does teach us, but not in this place. Here, it is all persecution. We're focusing on what your enemy does to you. So, the one that's easy for us to understand how it's an enemy is the first example. Turn the other cheek. Your enemy slaps you. The imagery is... Let him slap the other side of your face. Now, Christ is not teaching us pacifism here. He's not teaching us let people beat you up and that self-defense is wrong. Other parts of scripture give us 
sufficient reason to defend our own life at times. In fact, uh, we could even say that the commandment, you shall not kill, has in it implicitly the idea of protecting life. And in some instances, that includes protecting your own life, not just the life of others. And so Christ isn't saying, uh, go out and look for an opportunity to make yourself a victim. For an opportunity to make yourself a martyr. You may have to be a martyr. And when you do, let that martyrdom be as one who is turning the other cheek. But he's not simply saying, just go out of your way to be hurt. So what is he saying? Turn the other cheek. Our Savior is saying, I think, two things that go together. One, uh, as John Calvin pointed out, in this world, one form of hatred will follow another. So when you experience someone hating you for the gospel's sake, Don't expect it to be one and done. Expect that there will be, quickly following it, another attack for the gospel's sake. So we can envision the hatred that people have for Jesus Christ and the gospel of salvation to be like a a backhanded slap and then a forward slap. And you should expect one after the other. Don't expect to get past the persecution. In this life, you will have trouble, says Christ. Not just once, but daily. But remember, he has overcome the world. And so you can endure the slap after the slap. The other thing that Turn the Cheek is saying is something we're taught in Romans chapter 12 more explicitly. There we hear in verses 17 and 19. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's what turning the other cheek is. It's saying, I will not seek vengeance. You have just slapped me. Maybe literally. Maybe in any number of other hateful ways. I will not seek vengeance on you. For vengeance belongs to the Lord. Even though I know that my just standing here not seeking vengeance might lead you to hate me more and attack you more. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Now, as an aside, we need to know the difference between vengeance and justice. And I don't think in our culture we do know the difference between vengeance and justice. Christ says, don't seek vengeance, it's mine. But the scriptures are full of God telling us to be a people who love justice and seek it. And our uh, uh, 
entertainment industry and, and other things have so fed our minds for 40 years now with the idea of like the movies where the man's family is killed and he goes out to seek vengeance. But that's never the tagline. Well, sometimes it is. Usually it's justice. So we, we've been inundated with this idea that seeking personal vengeance because we've been wronged equals justice as opposed to justice being a standard of righteousness which the government has been given to protect and to meet out through the courts of law. It doesn't always accomplish that. But even when it doesn't, Christ says to you and I, do not seek vengeance, seek justice. So turning someone in for a crime is not ignoring Christ's statement about turn the other cheek. And one example that I think very explicitly needs to be said about this in our culture is when there's abuse in the home. Christ is not saying if your spouse or your parent is abusing you, turn the other cheek. No, that's where justice comes in and you seek, you seek the help of those whose duty it is to bring justice or others who can help you help you be safe to find that justice. That's different than vengeance. We need to know the difference, but that's a bit of an aside. Christ here in saying, turn the other cheek, is saying to expect more backlash in hatred to follow. It's not going to stop. If you are presenting the gospel, living it out, showing Christ before the world, expect those who hate Christ to hate you. And then the other two examples, throw in the tunic and uh, give when it's demanded. And these are both very specific examples having to do with the Roman culture. Uh, I think often we read these Uh, that if someone asks for a cloak, include a tunic, and if someone asks, give to them what they ask, we think about a situation that we we can even be familiar with, panhandling, right? Someone is standing on the side of the road and asks you for something, you have to give it to them. Now, the scriptures will say plenty about how we ought to view that person who's panhandling, But that's not this example. This example only derivatively tells us that we ought to care for that person. This example is talking about someone who's actually hurting you. Which, I I hope you all realize the person panhandling on the side of the road isn't hurting you, typically. Right? They're not your, I hope, in your mind, your enemy. So you ought to do something and care for them in the name of Jesus. But that's different than here. These are specifically persecution statements. So, for example, the person who could ask for your cloak and you were to throw in the tunic, which is like saying someone asks for your coat and you throw in a hoodie as well or a, 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 a hat with it, right? You're, you're making sure that they're not cold that they're warm. But in this scenario, the person who could ask for that would be a Roman citizen demanding it of someone who is a Roman subject, but not a citizen. And, and 
most Jews weren't Roman citizens. They were Roman subjects. And a Roman citizen could walk up to you as he traveled down the road. He came past your house, sees you there, and he could demand that you give him a cloak. And the idea was supposed to be that he would send it back to you when he reached his next lodging. But we all know how that worked, right? You would never see your cloak again. They were supposed to, but, but Caesar's not checking up on that. The governor's not checking in to make sure that some rich merchant who was a little chilly today and took your cloak sends it back to you. And so this was a, trying to think how to phrase this, a legal injustice. Do you get what I mean with that? They were doing something they were legally allowed to do, and it wasn't righteous, it wasn't right, it wasn't fair. Not fair. And Christ is saying, well, when you know you're about to be taken advantage of, and it's not fair, shock them by throwing in the hoodie. Give them the pair of gloves, too. Say, maybe even say, you know, in the name of my King Jesus, it, it is chilly out there today. Take, take the gloves and the hat with the coat. Don't bother sending them back. That's what Christ is saying. You are being taken advantage of unrighteously. Throw in the tunic. Or example three, give, give when asked. Now, I, here, I, I think our translations let us down a bit. They're a bit weak. And I'm not the only one who thinks that when looking at the Greek of the text. Because all of our translations tend to say when asked. But it could just as rightly be translated when demanded or commanded. And again, we're looking at a situation where there's the Roman citizen who's usually better off than you are. This isn't some impoverished homeless person and they're asking for shelter or food. This is typically someone who is much better off than you are. And Christ is saying, when they demand that you give them a meal, you barely have enough to begin with. When they demand that you do something for them. Do it. Don't complain. Don't grumble. Do it in my name. Matthew's gospel shows us another of these specific Roman examples where he talks about if if they make you go one mile, go two. And that was another of those Roman things. The Roman soldier was permitted to say, You are going to carry my suitcase one mile. They were only allowed to require you to take their suitcase one mile. And Christ is saying, go to. And with that action, by the way, you help someone else. Because what would have happened one mile in? 
well, you put the suitcase down and then the soldier just commands whoever the next poor slob walking down the road is, is going to carry it the next mile. Christ is saying, don't grumble, take it too. These are all examples of, again, that idea of legal injustice. And often these things were done targeted. Targeted against some group for their religion. Often it happened to the Jews because the Jews were a little obnoxious in the Roman Empire about the whole multiple gods thing. Most nations just went along with that. The Jews were so obnoxious with their with their uh, uh, anti-Rome attacks that Rome gave them special privileges no one else had. But that meant that Rome took it out on them in a different way by taking as much advantage of them as possible. And the Christians were often thought of as just part of that same group. And so the Christians also, for their faith, often were asked to go that mile, give that cloak, do those extra things. And Christ is saying, hey, as my citizens, stand out. In fact, stand out from the Jews who do it grumbling and complaining and planning their next terrorist attack. Do it different from them. Take it two miles. Give the extra piece of clothing. Give them food while you're at it. Christ is giving us these examples to challenge whether we love. And then he also gives kind of two guiding principles to examine myself. Do I love like the Father? And two things. I'm going to put them in the form of questions. Guiding question number one. What do you wish was done for you? If you're not sure if you love like the Father in heaven, ask, what do you wish was done for you? Does what you do for your enemy match up with that? It's the golden rule as we know it, verse 31. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. I think if we examine ourselves, often we find that we don't quite keep to this rule. In fact, the rabbis, Christ is just changing something the rabbis had taught prior to his day. They had their golden rule. Here it is. And listen for the difference, because it sounds very similar. The rabbis had taught, what you do not want others to do to you, do not do to them. Do you catch the subtle difference? How our sinful hearts with the one thing can get away with a lot. I don't want you, if let's say I'm being beaten up on the side of the road, I don't want you to come up and start kicking me in the ribs as well. All right, so I just won't do that to you. I'll walk on the other side of the street, says the priest, as they see the Samaritan being, or no, it wasn't the Samaritan even, right? It was the Jew getting beat up on the side of the road in the parable, and the Levite and the priest walk on the far side. They did to that guy what they... They didn't do what they wouldn't have wanted done. They wouldn't have wanted to be beaten up by an extra person as well as the initial people. So they just walked around, right? It's a very neutral thing. And there are a lot more subtle ways. I I know that was a very extreme example. There are a lot of subtle things. People are bad-mouthing you. Well, 
I wouldn't want, if people were saying lies against me, I wouldn't want my neighbor to join in and lie about me as well. Okay, so I just won't lie about you when I see your name defamed. I won't step in and defend your name, your reputation. I won't speak the truth and have people start hating me as well. But, but I'm not doing to you anything negative. But the neutral aspect of what the, the rabbis had in their golden rule left a lot of wiggle room for still not caring about your enemy. It may not be an act of hatred, but it's not love. So the guiding principle isn't, I don't want you to do this to me. It's, this is what I wish you would do for me. If I'm being beaten up on the side of the road, I wish you would stop the people beating me up. Pick me up and tend my wounds and take me to the next, uh, well, preferably a hospital, but back then it was just the end. Like, Like in the parable of the Good Samaritan. If my name is being defamed, let's say on social media, I want my neighbor to step in and say, that's not the Nathan I live next to That's not what I see in him. That's what I would want my neighbor to do to me. So that's what I need to do for my enemy. I may not like this individual. My heart might rage against them because they hate me. But but I need to bring that under control. The control of King Jesus. And defend them as far as the truth permits. To do good unto them. Now... uh, This also, though, if you're a believer and you're reflecting on what you wish someone would say and do to you if if you didn't know Jesus or if you were impenitently living in sin, I, I hope your thought would be, I want others who know Jesus if I didn't know him or if I was living in sin to confront me and lovingly bring the gospel to me. The golden rule says, well, then you have a responsibility there too. Here's your enemy. Oh, but they're not going to want to hear this. Here's your enemy. Would you want the gospel brought to you if it was you that was lost? It's a powerful guiding principle to examine your heart with that. Guiding principle number two, guiding question, what is your motive? That's what Christ is also challenging here, isn't he? Do it not expecting interest back, not expecting the cloak back, not expecting to gain something from it, not expecting that when you love this enemy, all of a sudden he's going to sing your praises before the world. She's going to write a post on Facebook that tells everyone that even though you guys used to be enemies, you just did the best thing for her. No, Christ says, don't expect any of that. Remember what you're supposed to expect? The backhanded slap to follow. Do it without expecting anything in return. What is your motivation? Is your motivation what you get out of it? Or what your reputation will look like because of it? Or, verse 35, do you expect to get out of it nothing more? than assurance that you are indeed a child of God. Encouragement that you are slowly plodding step by step 
living according to the household rules. Living like your father would want you to live. That's the only motive we ought to be looking for out of this. As J.C. Ryle wrote, that Christ, Christ here, wants our love to be like his own love towards sinners. Unselfish, disinterested, and uninfluenced by any hope of return. Self-sacrificing and self-denying. Is that how you love your enemies? And if you're loving your enemies that much, how are you loving your neighbors and your friends? What a change our lives would make in our community if we were living with this kind of kingdom love for our enemies. This is what Christ calls us to. Christ, Christ, who, although he was equal with God, it wasn't robbery for him to sit on the throne in heaven, gave that position up and came down to be spat upon and whipped and disdained and cast out to have his reputation tarnished before the world by his enemies, even though he did them good. And to go to the cross and suffer not just human anguish, but also the fires of the wrath of God against sinners on the cross for we who once were his enemies and at animosity with him. So that, so that our lives might be hidden with God in Christ above. And so that we might live for the glory of his name. We saw what that looks like in practice when we read of Stephen's death this morning. Stephen, who in his death, prayed to the Father for the very people pummeling him with stones. Lord, Lord, do not hold this against them. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Love your enemies. And do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. For you shall be called sons and daughters of the Most High. Let's pray.